the Gospel of John, the first chapter, the first 18 verses, an incredibly dense piece of scripture, a difficult piece of scripture to, uh, to unpack in one sermon. It feels like you could almost make a sermon about every single verse and fill up the whole Sunday with it. So we won't try to do that. Instead, I think what I'll try to do is give us a certain perspective on how to read John and how to read all of the different texts that we'll be dealing with during this time of Epiphany. Now, I think it's St. Augustine, but I might be wrong. He once said, the gospel of John is like a puddle of water that a toddler can splash in. You know how toddlers sit in the water on their bums with their diapers and splash and have fun? It's like a puddle of water that toddlers can splash in, but that an elephant can drown in. And what he meant was, the first time you read the Gospel of John, especially if you've read Matthew and Mark and Luke, you might be surprised by how simple it all seems. John isn't concerned with a chronological telling of the story. John isn't necessarily concerned with following the same line of of a plot line as the other Gospels. John wants us to understand that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he gives eternal life. So the first time you read it, you might say, oh, this is quite simple. I can read this. And actually, uh, I was taught that if someone comes to faith, the first thing they must read before they read any other book in the Bible is the Gospel of John. Because it gives us the right perspective on who Christ is. But... When you dive into it, then it's not that simple. It's incredibly complex. It's incredibly deep theology. Theology that changed the life of the church. Theology that an elephant can drown in, so to speak. We spoke about this epiphany earlier. And an epiphany can come in one of two ways. It can be like a candle lit in a dark room. It's just a flicker of a thought. It's something that just comes and you need to grab onto it before it passes. Sometimes the epiphanies that come from the Lord are like that. We need to be ready. Sometimes the epiphanies of the Lord are like a lightning bolt. Lighting up everything around us. And what we'll try to do today is explore how the Gospel of John is both these things. A simple, small, flickering light in the darkness, and at the same time, this incredible lightning bolt of realization about who Christ is. Now, have you ever bought or ordered or received a book that you were looking forward to reading. And then you get the book, and then you read one or two pages in the front, and then you can't help yourself and you skip to the last page. Who's ever done that before? I remember doing that. Um, I was a big Harry Potter fan when I, was, uh, when I was in high school. And the books always came out on my birthday. And so what did I get for six years my birthday? Harry Potter books. 
and I never did it, and I've never done it uh, uh, since. But I think it was the sixth one, or the seventh, I don't know. But I received the book on my birthday. It was during exams, so I knew I had to read the whole thing quite quickly. And I read the first few pages, and I thought, ah, I'll read the last chapter. Now, if you're a fan of Harry Potter, you know that in the sixth book, uh, Dumbledore dies. It's quite traumatic. And so I read that, and I regretted it instantly. And I went back, and I read the book from the beginning, and I enjoyed every single page. But you know what? Every single thing I read was informed by what I knew was going to happen. Isn't that true? It's like watching a movie that you've seen before. You're just as involved and engrossed in what's happening, but you know what's going to happen. You don't enjoy it less, but deep down you know what the ending is going to be. Now, could you imagine being a Greek or maybe a Jew during the time of Mark and Matthew and Luke and Paul? And hearing or reading the story of Christ for the first time without knowing how it ends. Could you imagine hearing the story of the baby born of the virgin in Bethlehem who grew up in Nazareth at about 30 years old who was baptized and received the spirits and started his ministry and about two years later in Jerusalem on the day of Passover, was arrested, crucified, and died. And then rose from the grave. Could you imagine hearing that for the first time in your life? Being engrossed in the story of Jesus of Nazareth and not knowing how it's going to end. Now maybe we're quite unlucky in the church that we grow up with the story and we never think about it that way. What John does with chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, is he tells us what the ending of the story is even before he begins. It's like John. Now, the idea is that John, the evangelist, was the leader of a small group of Christians a small group who were quite isolated from the rest of their world, who took their faith very seriously. And the idea is that John and this group cultivated their faith very strictly and very radically. And so the thing that he says in the beginning of the gospel is a thing that they believed and said to each other about Christ every single day. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, etc., etc. John starts his gospel not like the other evangelists by saying, here's the story of Jesus Christ told in a chronological fashion, starting with the prophecy of his birth, and then his birth, and then his life. John starts by saying, before you know any of that, here's what you need to know. In the beginning, the Word was with God. And the Word was God. That's the first thing you need to know about Jesus Christ. 
according to John. He doesn't even start at the end of the resurrection. He doesn't start by saying, before we get into this, just so you know, Jesus rises from the grave at the end and everything's going to be okay. He starts a few hundred years after that when he wrote his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the word and the word came to dwell among us like a light in the darkness and the people did not know it, did not realize it. And rejected the light. But those who believe in the name of Jesus are given the right to be called children of God. John says, that's what you need to know about Jesus. That's what you need to know about God. It's like the ending of the story told in the beginning. And John's idea is not to spoil the story for us. John's idea is to say, everything else you read... Everything else you hear, you must see through this lens. Everything you see and learn about Christ, you must evaluate from the perspective of the word that was in the beginning with God, was God. Everything that is came to be through him. That's what John's trying to do. Of course, it's interesting in the beginning. There's another book in the Bible that starts with those words. Do you know which one it is? I'll give you a hint. It's in the beginning. Genesis starts with the words, in the beginning. And what John is doing, and this is why John is a complex book. It's not a simple book. What John is doing is very deliberate. When he starts his gospel with, in the beginning... He is asking us to remember the beginning of Genesis. It's very clever. It's spread out over thousands of years, but John knew if I start my book in this way, the people who read it will be reminded of the creation of all things and the creator of all things. And that's why he does it. It's like a puzzle. Different pieces falling into place. And John knows exactly where to put every single piece. In the beginning. Now, in the Old Testament, and in Genesis in particular, God creates the heaven and the earth by speaking. If you read the other creation stories from the Babylonians and the Assyrians, even sometimes the Greeks and some older religions, their gods also created the world, but oftentimes by doing, by taking something and making earth, water, or heaven. There's a story in the Babylonian myths about two gods fighting and the winner kills the loser and skins him and stretches out his skin. And that becomes the sky. It's stories like that. Doing stories. Using your hands. Busy stories. But our God creates simply by speaking. 
To us, it sounds quite strange because we have the Greek Western idea of what words are. We think words are thoughts, and we'll get to that later. But in the Hebrew world, in the world of Genesis, words were actions. And so this changes how we see the act of God creating in Genesis. In the Hebrew mindset, words lead to deeds. In fact, words are and become actions, deeds, which is quite different to what we believe. But when we do understand that, we start to see how incredibly important the story of Genesis is. And God creating things by speaking is not God rationalizing about it, but God doing it. Now, the Hebrew word for word is davar, dabar. Now, you need to be careful. When a minister starts quoting Greek and Hebrew, uh, he oftentimes is trying to show off, but I promise you I'm not. The Hebrew word for davar can literally mean word or thing. Something tangible, something you can pick up, see, examine, observe. In the beginning of Genesis was God and God created by speaking words, davar, things. And then we get to the Gospel of John, And John deliberately starts his gospel within the beginning. And the next thing he says was the word. But the Greek word he chooses, the New Testament was written in Greek, the Old Testament in Hebrew. The Greek word he chooses is logos. Logic. And logos in the Greek mindset did not imply deeds or things or doing. It implied thoughts, reason, ideas. These are two very different things, yes? And we grew up with that Greek heritage, that Greek philosophical scientific heritage, where words don't equal things that are going to be done, but equal things that exist in the realm of ideas. And so the things we say are the things we think. And when John says, in the beginning was the logos, the word, he means that and more. When John says, in the beginning was the logos, knowing as we do that he is deliberately referring to Genesis, he is saying, in the beginning was the Word of God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word, the way John means it, is the combination or the coming together of deeds and ideas. It's like a flame. A flame is not only heat. And it's not only light. It's only a flame when those two things combine. 
It's only the word when thoughts and actions combine. This is why for John, the word of God is not the same as the words of people or the words of the Bible or the words spoken of God. The word, Jesus Christ, is more. It's not simply ideas. It's not simply actions. It's the coming together. It's the melting together of both. And of course, in the life and the ministry of Christ, we see this. Jesus is not a philosopher. He doesn't have great ideas that people listen to. Of course he has great ideas. But Jesus, Jesus is not a philanthropist. He doesn't just go around doing things, doing charity, doing care. It's both. It's combined. It's inseparable at all times. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word that John is telling us about. John is saying, you need to change the way you think about Jesus. He's not some kind of moral teacher. And he's not some kind of good guy that does good things for people. He's more than that. He's the culmination of all these things. And then John says, Moses gave us the law, the deeds. But Christ gives us grace and truth and this is faith deeds grace and truth like a flame that is simultaneously heat and light there's an old story told about the desert fathers desert fathers were a bunch of guys 300 400 years after christ who moved out to the deserts, the deserts of uh, the Mediterranean, the deserts of Egypt, deserts of the Middle East. Uh, and what they, what, what they tried to accomplish in moving out there was to isolate themselves from the, wor- from the world and simply spend time in the presence of God. And, 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 and hopefully in their minds, through doing so, gather a closer, closer relationship with God. And they took the Gospel of John especially very seriously because it suited that quite mystic approach to religion. But this is a story told about the Desert Fathers from a book called The Saying of the Desert Fathers, which, is a, which I think is, is good reading for, for people who want to understand more about building a relationship with God. But uh, Abbot Lot, Father Lot, one of the Desert Fathers, came to Father Joseph, Abba Joseph, and said, Father, to the limit of my ability, I keep my little rule, my little fast, my prayer, my meditation, and contemplative silence. And to the limit of my ability, I work to cleanse my heart of thoughts. What more should I do? The elder, Father Joseph, rose up in reply, and stretched out his hands to heaven, and his fingers became like ten lamps of fire. And he said, why not be utterly changed to fire? I know the slightly expanded version, where Father Lot comes to Father Joseph and says exactly the same thing. Father, 
I keep my little fast and my little rule. I keep my contemplative silence and my meditation. I do my work and my chores. I try to cleanse my thoughts. What more should I do? In the version I grew up with, Father Joseph stands up in reply and stretches out his hands to the sun setting behind him. And with the blazing sun behind his hands, the silhouette of his hand almost completely blotted out by the blaze of the sun, his fingers looking like ten lamps. He said, why not be changed to fire? Why not have heat and light? Why not have thoughts and deeds? Why keep your little rule and your little fast and your contemplative silence and your chores and your thoughts? Why keep all those if you will not be utterly transformed by Christ? Now, this is the problem of the church. Because we speak to each other and we speak to God and we say, Lord, I keep my little rule and I keep my little fast and my contemplative silence and my prayer and my reading. And I try and live a good life. I try to practice patience. I try to practice forgiveness. What more should I do? And I wonder whether the evangelist John will not say to us, well, why not go all the way? Why not be changed to fire? We're going to go into communion in a minute. And communion is the invitation of Christ to be changed to be changed body and mind and soul. To be changed from the tips of your toes to the top of your head. To be changed from thoughts and deeds which are separate into those who carry the word of God. Those who are given the right to be called children of God. The invitation of communion is the invitation of the Gospel of John, of the words of Father Joseph, why not be changed into fire? Why not be burned up by the grace of Christ? Why would you only have the law or only have truth when Christ gives you everything? perhaps fitting that at the beginning of the year, in our first service of 2020, we would be invited by the Lord to be changed. Let's close our eyes in prayer, and after the prayer, I would invite Paddy and the members helping us with communion to come forward. Lord, I need to act. We need to act on your word. 
we have heard your word, Lord. Not only the words and the sentences of the gospel of John, but we have heard the exhortation of your spirit in our hearts. And Lord, we confess, like Father Abbott, like Father Lot, that we keep our little rules and we have our little fasts, our daily readings and our prayers. We confess that we try and live good moral lives. We try and keep your commandments. And now you invite us to be changed, to become one with you. You invite us to be burned up by you. You invite us to be called children of God. And now as we enter your communion, may you prepare our hearts to truly be changed by your body and your blood. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.